0: I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling grief. I'm feeling loss. And I'm feeling hopeful. Admitting these emotions to myself and to others is really difficult for me, especially the feeling of loneliness. Shame, which we will extensively cover in this episode, is a powerful emotion that discourages us from naming and expressing our feelings. And when we repress them, they hold power over us, chip away at our mental and physical well-being, and prevents us from ever finding a way forward. The only way out is through. And in the words of Brené Brown, when we name an emotion or experience, it doesn't give that emotion or experience more power. It gives us more power. So let's talk about that. Hello, beautiful people. I am Rania Salah, and this is my podcast, Ish Matters. Here, we talk about things that matter. Everything ranging from psychology to politics, self-development, and difficult conversations. We are relaxed, unedited, and unrehearsed. But it is through discomfort that we learn and grow. So get comfortable. We might get a little uncomfortable. happy new year's beautiful people it's an exciting time or a combination of stress and excitement but uh i'm actually really excited because i started this podcast about two years ago so this is our two-year anniversary um so happy two-year anniversary to all my ish matters peeps if you've stuck around this long thank you so much and i promise i'm gonna be (laughs) doing better this time around um about publishing episodes and uh starting the instagram and if you haven't gone to my instagram it's at ishmatters i'll link it down below in the description so you can get some of the highlights and the quotes and some updates on the episodes and so with that let's start it off um i spent my new year's with my dear sister and it was everything i would want a new year's celebration to be we ate really good food and we talked about our feelings And she is so emotionally intelligent. And I'd like to think I am too, but she blows me out of the water. And because of that, um, we're really comfortable, or rather we've done the work to be really comfortable about looking inward and recognizing what we're feeling and then communicating that and being vulnerable with each other. And in those moments of vulnerability, we, we really have these like beautiful and genuine moments of connection. And it's so good and healing to feel connected and seen and heard and related to, or if not related to, just not judged for what you're feeling and kind of understood with compassion and with curiosity from the other person. And that kind of really solidified some of the new year goals I would want to set out for myself. And yes, I have career goals and health goals, and those are all good and dandy, but I wanted to add some new girl goals to this um this year this year's list i suppose and those surrounded finding community and making meaningful connections and again living mindfully and this is the second episode of the mindfulness series so we're going to be talking about some of the best practices and how to achieve them tangibly what are the steps and why we should care about these things so i hope you're excited because i am and First, we're going to start by identifying what barriers and challenges stand in our way to achieving some of these goals of living mindfully and making meaningful connections. And the objective is to illuminate which areas pose challenges, what resources we already have to achieve the goal, and which we need to acquire to achieve the goal. What external and internal barriers exist for individuals that can be, what do I need to work on within myself? and what things exist as barriers outside of me and outside of my control, like other people's feelings, your environment, your work schedule, your boss. And so I hope with this episode where we delve deeper in how we're going to approach these goals, you can add some of these goals to your list. And my objective, just to be super clear, is to highlight the importance of emotion discernment, communication, language, and as always, connection. And why do I want to convince you to care about these things? Well, because of the many episodes of Science I have provided, uh, (laughs) connection is the secret to a healthy and happy life. And as a human, as a public health person, and as a passionate person, I care that people around me are living to their fullest potential and are living happily and in good health and with a good quality of life so let me help you please um not like in a savior complex way that sounded really savior complex nope um (laughs) allow me to take you along on the journey that i am going on myself because i am still young and learning and so we can grow together so not a savior complex i'm on the same boat guys always always on the same boat (laughs) and i wanted to start with kind of the barriers and I think you only really know the value of something once you lack it and when you feel like you are lacking something, you recognize how important it was. And for a long time, I found that it was very difficult for me to sit with myself and allow myself to process my feelings and this, of course, caught up with me in many ways. I was always seeking distraction, I was always fatigued but had insomnia. I turned to unhealthy coping mechanisms for a long time. I didn't have the language or the ability to tell people what I was feeling. I'd always been really good at articulating what's going on with me, but only after I figured it out. But when I didn't even let myself discern what was going on, it was too difficult because it was too difficult or too much or too scary. I couldn't communicate it. And this showed up in many ways. It showed up as an eating disorder, as lashing out, It showed up as isolation, as pushing people away. It showed up in my body as ill health. And I felt lethargic. I had digestive issues, hormonal imbalances. I had autoimmune issues. And I was susceptible to illness, addiction, and very serious depression. And I felt stuck. Like I felt like I would never be normal. I thought I was just unlucky and sentenced to a life of struggle. Internal struggle, that is. And no matter how privileged I may be in ability or resource, location, opportunity, or even in skin color, I was constantly in fight or flight mode. I was always in conflict with myself and I was miserable. And a lot of you know that not long ago, I posted a poem about suicidality. And I took it down, but I am being open um, and I am being vulnerable in the name of destigmatizing this subject. And I think that the times where I was really hopeless, where I felt like no one could possibly understand my experience, I would try to yell and, and try to muster up the words, but oftentimes it was too late because I had already reached some kind of breaking point. In those moments um, that I finally blew up because of my suppressed emotions, those moments were really scary. And in those moments I questioned whether it's worth being here. And in those moments I felt like giving up And I think the reason I got to those points was because I was, I was really hopeless about being able to communicate and being understood. And I was repressing some really difficult emotions. And I think that when I reflect on this, I find two reasons why I was doing that. Number one, is I didn't want to confront the fact that I was feeling them because it was too difficult for me to admit to myself. And number two, I felt a deep shame about some of these emotions namely loneliness and there's a huge stigma surrounding that emotion when we often associate loneliness with being a loser outsider unlikable we think that something must be wrong with us we think that we are flawed everyone seems to be likable enough to have a solid group of people but i just suck Um, and that leads to a really vicious cycle because we blame ourselves for our loneliness on this false idea that we are simply unlikable, and so this leads to a vicious cycle because we isolate, we become more lonely, and then we feed into that thought process even more. Shame is a huge social emotion that i'm going to that I'm coming to discover and discover how much it impacts our choices and behaviors and habits of mind, and how we talk to ourselves and Gaber Mate, 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 I'm going to say Mate, although I may be butchering his last name. Gaber Mate says that shame is the deepest of negative emotions, a feeling we will do almost anything to avoid. Unfortunately, our abiding fear of shame impairs our ability to see reality. And God, this really stuck with me because it's true. When we are shameful, we create all of these narratives in our head that are just not the reality of the situation we blame ourselves for things we convince ourselves that we are certain things like unlikable and unlovable and unworthy when that's really not the reality and I'll put another quote here because I think it's important to define shame and I really like Brene Brown's definition of shame where she says um It's an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. And man, this is a powerful definition because it touches on the really important aspect of what shame can do to us. It can make us feel like we're unworthy of connection. And if connection is the basis for satisfaction and love and, and zest for life, then if we are blindsided by shame, and it kind of impedes us from ever achieving that, then we are doomed to a life of lack of connection and, and therefore like unhappiness, ill health, disconnection from ourselves even. And I think it's important to note that shame and guilt are very different. And what I love about Atlas of the Heart, uh, Brene Brown's book, is that it goes through emotions and it defines them. And I think we all have misconceptions about what emotions actually mean. We confuse anger and sadness. We confuse disappointment and anger. We confuse shame and guilt. And so because we're talking about shame, let me just distinguish between the two. Shame is a social emotion and guilt is an intrinsic and innate emotion. So guilt is experienced by everyone who has the capacity to feel empathy. I'm sorry, psychopaths, this doesn't apply to you. But guilt is a behavior-centered emotion. I did something bad, and that is driving discomfort. And because it's behavior-centered, it can drive positive change. Like, I did something bad, and I didn't like the way that made me or someone I love feel, and so I'm going to do something different next time. But shame is a self-centered emotion. It's I am bad, thus unworthy, thus unlovable. Shame drives isolation, lashing out, anger, othering people because you feel othered. And shame thrives when unspoken. And so shame is the fact that I feel lonely despite having a thousand contacts in my phone. Shame is that sometimes I slip back into old habits that people have worked really hard to get me out of. Shame is that I feel depressed even though I have everything a person needs to be happy. Shame is that it's, it's what keeps me from saying these things out loud. And shame is what makes me feel like I have a heavy weight on my chest and it's so painful that I would rather ignore it, distract from it, and isolate instead of facing it. It's tremendously difficult and destructive destructive sorry (laughs) let me take a sip of water on shame Um, shame fuels grandiosity and ego narcissism and ill health shame what I learned is one of the most impactful emotions and holding on to shameful things and and kind of ignoring them can really take a toll on every aspect of our lives and the reason I got really into this is because I, in my mindfulness class, we really challenged ourselves, ourselves to be vulnerable. Um, sorry, that that was like no context. Um, if you haven't listened to my last episode, you wouldn't understand what I'm saying. I took a mindfulness course uh, in my last semester in college, and it kind of blew my mind. And it was really wonderful in a place of healing and connection. And... In the listening circles, where we would sit around in a circle and talk about the deepest things we were feeling and experiencing and, and recognizing within ourselves and in others, we really broke down to our most vulnerable, true selves. And it was really authentic and really beautiful. And at the time, it was a group of strangers that I was sitting with admitting some of the most shameful emotions and things i was experiencing and i admit that i held on to some racial biases i admit that i was deeply lonely i admit that i was having doubts about my recovery and when i did admit these things i would always look down at the ground i mean the the shame was so intense and so obvious physically in my body i was kind of like clenched up and had my arms around my myself and kind of wrapping myself to comfort myself and looking down at the ground and talking really slow and hesitating it was so obvious that I felt such an intense feeling of of embarrassment and shame about the ways I was feeling but you know what every time you know, every now and then I would look up and kind of just like look at people for a split second before I looked back down at the ground and when I would look up I would see my peers nodding and listening and I could sense their compassion and then more people would share and relate and agree. And it felt like the greatest bonding experience of all time. I had never felt such a sense of relief and relaxation and connection like that. I was just so grateful to be in that circle and I I left class feeling a hundred times lighter. Like I was smiling and energized and hungry and connected with myself and connected to others and felt hopeful and driven. And it inspired me to do it more, to use the superpower that is language to heal myself and heal others. And by heal others, I mean really just allowing them to find healing within themselves, to kind of heal themselves. And really what that looked like is just listening, extending that same compassionate and curious listening to them the way they extended it to me and when i started doing that more i found that if i communicate how i feel seek connection communicate my limits and boundaries so that i'm not living in constant discomfort if i learn how to say no if i learn how to say i need help i need time i feel disconnected i feel scared i feel nostalgic angry frustrated disappointed I become so much more free and hopeful that life could be what I want it to be things could be different but I had to listen to how I was feeling and that was hard confronting emotions that I had buried so deep because of shame or fear that was extremely difficult confronting the ways I was wronged the ways I had wronged myself And the ways I had wronged others that was so difficult and so scary and then communicating that to others well that's a whole other challenge but I did I did it I tried it and sometimes I was disappointed and that was okay sometimes people's reactions weren't what I wanted them to be or expected them to be but sometimes I was heard and I was offered immense compassion and kindness. And I'm really, I'm, I'm just gonna, I can't help it. I'm gonna quickly shout out Juana. Um, I came across, um, I crossed paths with this beautiful human and soul. And the way she listens is healing. I mean, I could say literally anything and look up at her and she would be nodding compassionately, listening intently, I could just feel it. I could feel like I'm seen and heard and I leave every conversation feeling a hundred times happier and more hopeful and that's literally just because she allowed me to use my language to express my feelings without feeling judged or without feeling like I'm a problem that needed to be fixed or without feeling like I'm uh being too sensitive or too um too, I don't know, what's another word for sensitive? <laughs> um, a, a little be, biatch, basically. Sorry, parents, if you're listening, that is a curse word. And sorry that there is construction now beginning outside of my building. Um, I hope you guys can still hear me. But yes, there was light There was a way forward and there were opportunities and joy and vision. And I saw these things again. Like I saw colors as bright as they should be. I saw my blessings. I saw my family. I saw the really great people around me who were trying to connect with me and so much more. And I began to see these things right when I began to communicate how I felt. And it kind of opened up my eyes and opened up my world and opened up my heart. And emotions are meant to guide us, and they do. In fact, they take the driver's seat when it comes to informing decisions. Not thought, emotions. Emotions are at the front seat, and thoughts and behaviors kind of just follow. And language, well, that's our superpower. And in the words of Brene Brown, language is our portal to meaning-making, connection, healing, learning, and self-awareness. Having access to the right words can open up entire universes. When we don't have the language to talk about what we are experiencing, our ability to make sense of what's happening and share it with others is severely limited. Without accurate language, we struggle to get the help we need. We don't always regulate or manage our emotions and experiences in a way that allows us to move through them productively. And our self-awareness is diminished. Language shows us that naming an experience doesn't give that experience more power, It gives us the power of understanding and meaning. And so language, really what it does is, it allows us to one, be able to discern and identify what's going on with us, be able to make sense of it, and then be able to communicate it, whether it be to ourselves or to others. And in that communication, we can find a way forward. And the more specific your language is, the more likely you are to find an effective and productive way forward, to find an action. And so if you're saying, "Um, I'm just angry, you don't really have an action to mitigate that. But if you're saying, I feel disappointed because I had an expectation that you were going to do X, Y, Z, and then you didn't. And so now I'm feeling frustration and disappointment and that disappointment is rooted in a feeling of like you don't respect me or my needs or my time. There are so many emotions under emotions and there are so many emotions about emotions. We call the study meta-emotions. But if you really, really be specific about what language you're using to define what you're feeling and experiencing, you could find the right action to move forward. And so, When you are feeling disappointed you have to look back at your expectations and be like okay what expectations did i have why did i have them were they communicated you know in a relationship sometimes we have expectations that people are going to meet our needs and then we're disappointed when they don't but what if we never communicated those expectations in the first place is my feeling of disappointment then fair Is it fair to the other person that I'm angry at them and disappointed in them when I really didn't tell them what I wanted or expected? And so that kind of gives us a way forward, a way um, kind of like a a manual on how to approach our emotions. And I think Brene Brown really does, does a really good job about explaining why it's so important to practice our vocabulary and expand our vocabulary for for emotional language she says that first we'll backtrack <laughs> she says that very few people can handle being held accountable without rationalizing blaming or shutting down and without understanding how our feelings thoughts and behaviors work together it's almost impossible to find our way back without uh, our way back to ourselves and to each other And when we don't understand our emotions and how they shape our thoughts and decisions, we become disembodied from our experience and disconnected from each other. And so it's important to, one, understand how our emotions are showing up in our body and why. And this is kind of like the biology of emotions. And two, get curious about how our families and communities shape our beliefs about connection between our feelings, thoughts, and behaviors. And this is kind of like the biography And then examine our go-to behaviors and emotions. And so that's centered around behaviors. And then four, recognize the context of what we're feeling or thinking and what brought it on, the backstory. And sometimes this can be really hard. And so I encourage you, if you are setting goals to become more connected and find communities and find better language to examine your feelings, I really urge you to kind of go out and seek out resources about How emotions show up in the body scientifically, biologically. How anger shows up in the body. How excitement shows up in the body. What's happening to your heart rate, to your flushed cheeks, to your tense neck. What's happening inside of you? And once you understand what's happening inside of you, you can start to recognize which emotion you're feeling. And once you do that, you can start examining, you know, is this feeling coming from me, or is it coming because of an expectation from my community and how I was, I was kind of taught um, and brought up, and how I was taught to react to certain things? So I'll give you an example because this is kind of hard to understand. When I get a B in a class, my initial reaction is kind of like confusion. And that's because deep down, I want to feel okay. I want to feel like I've accepted that. I want to feel like I did my best and that's the grade I received. But that's conflicting with an emotion of shame and disappointment and fear because I was socialized to believe that if I get a B, I'm a failure. I'm only allowed to be a straight A student. I'm only allowed to be top of my class. I had no excuse to fail even though it's not failure but it's a failure in my books um and that's because i was socialized to feel that way and so i have all of these conflicting emotions and i'm shameful and i'm trying to fix it and i'm trying to blame myself but at the same time internally i kind of feel like i did what i could and that is what i deserved and i'm okay with that and so you really have to distinguish between if you're feeling it because others have taught you to feel it or if you're feeling it because you feel it and then examine next how that shows up in your behavior and so how does getting a bee show up in my behaviors well it shows up as wanting to self-destruct it shows up as self-punishment it shows up as um, not taking care of myself as much not rewarding myself as much it shows up maybe as like living in sweats instead of putting on nice clothes because i just feel so bad i know that sounds extreme but i it was heavy socialization guys and finally after we've examined what our behaviors are we can recognize the context of what we're feeling or thinking so what brought this on and so I already told you, kind of, I started with that, what brought it on. But usually, if you don't really know why you're feeling what you're feeling, you'd go through these four steps and try to recognize all of these things. And once you have the biology, the behavior, the biography, and the backstory, you could then find a way forward. And the reason language is so important here is because the more specific the language, the better chance you have of doing going through this process quickly and productively, and effectively. So all of the words, all of the action words. And this really what it is, it's emotional competence. And emotional competence requires the capacity to feel our emotions so that we are aware of what we're feeling and our stressors, the ability to express our emotions effectively and thereby assert our needs and maintain the integrity of our emotional boundaries. But we can only do that once we recognize them. And then it requires the Facility to distinguish between the psychological reactions and the present situation, and a distinguish uh, to distinguish between our right now and residue from the past. And so, a lot of times, if we're having a very visceral reaction to something or emotion, we have to really examine like, is this a valid reaction to the situation, or am I feeling this? very intensely because there's residue from past experiences that I have not processed that's making its way to this present moment. It requires the awareness of genuine needs that do require satisfaction. And it requires an understanding of the dangers of repressing and not communicating needs and not communicating boundaries and not living with the integrity of our emotional boundaries. And the truth is, we can only be connected to others as much as we are connected to ourselves. And so when I say that one of my New Year's resolutions is to make meaningful connections, I have to be able to do that work within myself. And I have to have the language to describe my needs and boundaries. I have to have the ability to communicate, to develop and foster any meaningful connection. I have to know how my emotions are showing up in my behaviors and thoughts. I have to know when I need to take a step back and examine what I'm feeling instead of allowing it to make its way as anger or lashing out or into the way I treat others or judge others. Oftentimes when we're judging others, we're really judging ourselves. Oftentimes when we feel Um, What's that term people use? Like, secondhand shame or or cringe or something like that. Like, it's about us. It starts within us. As I said in my last episode, um, when our mind is noisy, the world is also noisy by Hainam Sunim. It's the same way about emotions. If we are struggling with our emotions, we're going to struggle to understand and connect with other people's emotions if we are feeling angry at ourselves, we're going to be angry at others. If we're feeling judgmental of ourselves, we are going to be judgmental of others. It's just the way the cookie crumbles. And I think that to begin forming relationships, we need to do that work, and we need to work on our compassion. And for a long time, I thought that compassion meant putting myself in other people's shoes. But when I read Brene Brown's book, I I found that compassion isn't putting ourselves in other people's shoes. It's trying to understand their situation, how they feel in their own shoes, and trying to provide comfort and alleviate their suffering, whether that be a solution or just presence or an alternative perspective or just silence, being there with them. The issue is that we can't really feel what another human is feeling, even if we try to. We can understand We can try to understand but we all have different hermeneutic horizons, which means that our individual and unique experiences are layered to influence how we perceive life, and thus how we think about and feel about things. It's kind of like your own set of glasses. Everyone's glasses are different. And so if we listen to someone who is, for example, if I'm listening to my black male friend telling me about his struggle, There is no way I could possibly fit my understanding of experiences into his story. But I can allow him to tell his story. I can listen to him and I can believe him. Brene Brown really emphasizes the idea of believing people when they tell their story because oftentimes we don't really want to. Either because it challenges what we want to believe the world is, or it challenges that there's just one experience of the world, our experience, or it makes us accountable in some way. And again, we really don't like being held accountable. And when we do feel that way, we often feel like we have to rationalize, justify, shut down, or point the finger at someone else. And I think that when we are doing that, again, emotion discernment and language becomes really pivotal because we can look at that and say, well, why am I feeling so uncomfortable about your story? What feelings are arising in my body? And why? Why am I feeling that way? And so I guess with this episode, I want you to take note of curiosity. Being curious about your emotions is step one. Trying to figure out the language, the tools, and the needs to communicate is step two. And if those are hard, then start by writing them down. I find that, again, I said in the beginning of this episode, I'm really good at communicating only when I figured out what I'm feeling and that's really hard. So I start by writing. I journal religiously and so when I journal, I write down the things I'm feeling. I try at least to work through them and then I'm so much better at communicating them. I'm so much better at pausing and not lashing out. I'm so much better at examining how my behaviors are being influenced by my emotions And I'm so much better at fostering meaningful, healthy connections. I'm better at coming back and apologizing like, hey, I was feeling this, this, and that, and I hadn't processed it, and so it came out in this way, and I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Hey, I said something I didn't really mean. I just needed time to process it more, and now I understand how I feel, and now I can communicate it. Hey, I feel like I've been disconnected from you because I was feeling X, Y, and Z, and I just didn't recognize it. But now that I do, here are my needs. Here's how I can feel more connected to you. These are all examples of things I have actually said in the past few months to my friends and my loved ones and my family. And they really, really, really helped maintain and strengthen relationships. And a lot of that was a lot of work of emotion discernment and communication. And so if anything, you're gonna add to your new year's list of resolutions or your list of New Year's resolutions, better syntax there, is adding to your emotional vocabulary, is communicate more, is try being vulnerable more, and is staying happy and healthy and joyful. And if you want some more tips or you want me to cover this more, let me know. And with that, I think we're going to end this episode. I hope 2023 brings us all happiness health and joy and peace and i hope we all feel a little bit more connected to ourselves and to others through this mindfulness series and through this journey we call life and with that i will see you next time on ish matters